Hey, everybody. Welcome back. You're listening to another fantastic episode of The Themdementalists. My name is Mehek. I'm Faiza. And today, I know we say this every single time, but I am genuinely so, so, so excited for today's episode. Uh, we have with us the amazing Hera. Hera, I should have asked you if I'm allowed to say your last name, but since I didn't ask you, I'm not going to say it. Um, she is all-around fabulous superstar, uh, academic clinician clinician. She's also an associate professor at a college in New York, um, while also practicing as a clinical pharmacist in the trauma ICU at a New York hospital. And on top of all of that, she's actually one of the best people I've ever met in my life. And it's not rare that you get somebody who's smart and humble and genuinely a nice person. Um, True renaissance. That's not what this podcast is about. Um, Hera, you want to say hello to all of our friends and family and fans? Yes, I am a huge fan of this podcast, of course. I mean, we're here for this and I'm here for you and everything that's happening here. But hi, everyone. I'm very happy to be here and very happy to be talking to both of you. And hopefully we'll talk, we'll get into some things this today. All the tings. Um, So today's episode is going to be kind of a break from the really, really sad, depressing, hopeless stuff that we've been talking about of late. Um, We wanted to talk to Hera about the process of freezing your eggs. Um, For anybody who's tuning in kind of for the first time, we like to take topics that are not only like current affairs happening in the world, but also things that aren't necessarily discussed often or considered taboo in the South Asian community and normalize them a little bit. Because I think um, it's 2020, life has changed a lot, society has changed a lot, and the culture hasn't necessarily caught up, but that doesn't change the fact or the reality that people are experiencing certain things, whether or not the culture chooses to um, acknowledge it. So fertility, reproduction in general, I think is one of those things and egg freezing is very much a part of that. So um, that's what we're going to be getting into today, Hera, FYI, if you didn't know. Um, So let's just kind of jump right into it. So if you could um, talk us through just like the process from beginning to end, what was it like from a clinical perspective? You know, what were the costs like? What was the time commitment like from the day you had your first appointment to the time where your eggs were retrieved or if there was steps after that? Like, I don't, please educate me because I don't know anything about this. Sure. We'll, we'll definitely talk about the technical aspects of it, uh, but coming to the decision of it was a very tough process for okay, me. Okay, let's totally start there. I um, it was it was just something that was like not on my radar. Um, I did this two years ago, um, and I think at that time, like Instagram ads were coming up a lot more, and and I wonder like. You know, we do think that Instagram reads our minds at times. So I wonder if I was looking up something pertaining to it. Um, But, you know, um, freeze fertility and all those other like really, um, you know, mom and pop egg freezing um, shops were coming up at that time. Um, But really, the decision for me was like, it took me three to four years to arrive to that decision. And I think that um, 
I'm definitely more of a thinker than a doer. You know, I have to like look at it from every angle, make sure like things are right. And um, we had talked about like I have this like third world upbringing. So anytime I like I spend money on myself, I always have to think like 45 times, like could this money be better spent feeding some poor family? So um, based on that, it it took me a while to come to the decision. Uh, but when I arrived at it, I was like 120% in. When I had come to that decision, I was like, I'm going to do it. For so sure. what was the final turning point for you? Like, was it something sudden or was it just like you'd been thinking about it for, like you said, three, four years that you were like, all right, it's obviously not going away from my mind. Let me just yeah. get it, get it done. So- so, you know, talking about healthcare practitioners, I have a great primary care physician. I had a gynecologist, like nobody had ever really brought this up to me. Um, but the person who brought this up to me was actually my therapist. And that was about like five to six years ago. I had just started going to therapy for issues non-related to my fertility. It was very much, I was um, having a hard time um, dealing with, I had just lost my father. I have, um, a brother with mental illness, which is a thing that continues to be a part of my life. And I sort of sought some counseling in a very desperate time in my life. And, uh, my therapist was like, okay, you're not married. And I was like, no, I'm not. And that's not even something that's on my radar. And he was like, exactly. Like, have you thought about freezing your eggs? And I was like, no, no, I'm not here for, like, why are we talking about this? And, um, you know, he was the person who really, like, brought sort of light onto this subject in a sense that, you know, 30s is a very complicated age for women. And I have found nothing to be truer. You know, early 30s is a very complicated age for women. Some of us have reached those check marks and those goals that society and our culture has set for us and others have not. So, um, you know, I have all these other things that are causing this stress in my life. And this is going to be something that's going to pop up in five years. And before you know it, five years are here. You know, it's actually funny. We're talking about this. I'm about to be 35 in like three months. Um, and he was like, before you know it, this is going to come up. Like, why have you not thought about it? You know that you, you're you in a medical profession yourself. You know that having children after 35 can become a really complicated process. So why do you want something to sort of fester and remain there and continue to be stressed out about it rather than addressing it now so that it doesn't stress you out later? Okay. So this is why I love you so much, Hera, because you always ground the hell out of me. So I actually didn't even know that your therapist was the first one to bring this up to you. But it's so fascinating to me that that was your reaction when he did, because I feel like if I was in your position and I had gone to a therapist, and you said this was like kind of early on when you had just started seeing him, right? right? And if I had gone to him with XYZ situations in my life, And his, maybe not first, but like one of the first few things that he said to me was, well, you know, let's think about having kids down the line and egg freezing. I'd be like, my dude, I'm coming to you, you know, with all these other problems that have nothing to do with my marital status, have nothing to do with my reproductive status. And I'd very much go on the defensive because I'm just that kind of jerk person. But I love that you took that and really like, flushed it out for yourself and didn't take it as like an offensive, like, okay, here goes another person judging me for not being in a marriage or not having kids or any of these things. And you took it to empower you to make this incredible decision. And I, I love, I love that. And I love you for that. I mean, I think it may come off that way now, but at the time I was very dismissive of him. 
It really was. I was like, I, and, and I think that a lot of times that's, this is just the kind of person I have become as I've matured. Definitely wasn't this way in college or anything like that. You know, um, his style of treating his patients was very paternalistic. Um, I've had, um, now other therapists that are very like, what do you want to do? What are your goals? Rather than being like, this is part of your story and I'm worried let's about figure it out years from now. Like let's, I will be the first person to bring it up. And I think that he was also like now thinking about it, he was also very much coming from this point of view of like, I don't understand why healthcare providers don't talk to women about this. Um, and I did the first time I went to my gynecologist, letting her know that I was going to get this done because it has to be, um, someone else, a fertility expert. And I was like, how come you guys don't bring it up? And she said, I think that it, they kind of get caught up in their practice because they already, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we don't have issues, we're fairly healthy gynecologically. Like, you know, I got a gynecologist much later in life and it's only because my primary care physician forced me to get it. They're very much used to seeing people who are already trying to get pregnant. So I was a rare commodity that they see, like a single woman in her 30s, not even interested in getting pregnant or having children anytime in the future. I think that's so interesting. So like, as someone who also is thinking about freezing her eggs, I'm nowhere near trying to have a child. Um, the first time it was presented to me as an option was because um, at my workplace, we had brought a fertility specialist in to talk about the work that we were, we were, we were funding a grant that would allow him to provide IVF for a certain population. And so he was coming in to just talk about his work and it was a group of young women. And he was like, FYI, here are all the things that your gynecologist should probably be telling you and isn't. And here are all the things that you can do if you're concerned about fertility, because it kind of, it ended up coming up just naturally in the conversation. And it was the first time I'd heard that you could actually get a test done to see what your ovarian uh, egg reserve is and like how fertile you are. Um, and if it's an issue, then yeah, you should look at egg freezing or here there, there, there are these, all these options on the table that no one's talking to you about. And the, and we should be talking probably earlier than thir your thirties. So you know what your options are. I feel like I'm kind of late to the game now um, thinking about doing this because similarly, I, um, like mental illness runs in my family. I'm getting older. Like there are all these risks involved as we get older that I'm just like freaking out about now. And if I had known that this was an option or there was something I could pursue earlier on, it would have given me so much peace of mind to just like not have to do it. And it's funny well, that your therapist was the one who brought it up because like no one talks about it. Here's where I think the culture really fails us though, right? Because as South Asian women, especially Muslim women, it's like, you don't need an OBGYN. What do you need them for, right? Until you are like actively trying to conceive and there's so much shame associated with it, whether you start going to an OB from a much younger age and you kind of have to hide it because everybody's like, well, why are you going to an OB? Are you having sex? Or if you're not having sex, then it's like the shame associated or the shame that you feel going to an OB who's like, wait, like right. you're X years old and now talking to me about birth control? Like, yeah, or, you should have learned this like in fourth grade. So you just, it's like one of those catch money twos, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And our culture really makes it impossible to navigate it. 
It really does. I don't know how many conversations I've had with like people in their young or women in their mid twenties, late twenties who had never gone to a gyno because they were like, well, I'm not having, I'm not sexually active. Why would I need to go? And it's like, right. you need, you, you should get need, pap smears regardless. A, like, exactly. I don't right? need a pap because like I'm not sexually active. And I then, don't and think that's how it works, guys. And that's not, it's, and that's the thing. There's such a, and the fact that you have to, you know, like, of course, the whole virginity thing, like your hymen needs to stay intact. Tampons. They're going to break my hand. Yeah, yeah. You can't use tampons. Yeah. Oh my God. The tampon thing is just blows my mind. I still don't use them because of the, like, I was indoctrinated at such you a young got, age that I'm still Liza, like, You got, got yeah, the culture. We have moved on to them. cups. We have moved on to diva cups. Come over to the other side. That know. I cannot but do. Even, but like the idea of delaying your fertility, the idea of owning your fertility is so foreign to South mm. Asian people. The minute you get married, the first question out of people's mouths are, when are you going to have a baby? When are you going to have a baby? And I mean, or even just- it's been a couple years since you got married. Is everything okay? Are you having yeah. problems? Yes. Of course. Yes. But the idea that we would take it into our own hands, make these decisions for ourselves, be like, I'm not ready to have a kid yet. That's not an answer anybody will, will accept. I'm not ready is not an answer. It's oh, for especially with my family because all the women in my family went to school and went to work. They're like, well, uh, you know, I was working and I was in school and I had a baby and it was fine. It worked out. But they're like, that's a decision you made, or maybe you felt like you could couldn't. But that's not where I'm at, and I don't need to do that to myself. I don't want to do that to myself. And this like sense of agency or the idea, the concept of agency over our bodies, is so foreign and so. Like, how do you explain that to someone who has never encountered that? Right. And I think you you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know, right? So people of our mother's generations, the grandmothers, like they lived in a very, in some ways, a similar society, in some ways, a completely different society where this, like you said, this concept even of having this freedom, having this agency to decide, it wasn't even thought of, let alone spoken of, right? So for them, I think to adjust to this is kind of weird. But now that we've bashed the culture, Hera, <laughs> talk, us, talk us through what the reaction was like from your family and from you know, your community, your friends, your loved ones. And I, I know you have a really special relationship with your mom because of just everything you've gone through in the past couple of years with your family, but how was she? Was it hard for her? Was it? My mom, I, again, I, I definitely think she is the exception to South Asian moms and she has some like sprinkle of that bad culture that comes in. So uh, my mom was has always been incredibly supportive, and I think that she trusts my choices as a healthcare practitioner. And my mom have, I've, if I've ever needed anything medically, she has always been one hundred and twenty percent on board. Um, to be honest, you know, it's you know, I agree with you that this process has been very empowering for me in a sense of owning uh, part of my destiny and giving myself a shot. That's all I, it came down to. I think I've given myself a shot at fertility if it comes down to it, me having children in my 40s. Um, 
but I didn't tell a lot of people. My mom did ask me specifically and I was very disappointed, but I think you have to meet your parents a lot of times where they are. Uh, my mom has five sisters. We're very, very close, all the aunts and I, and she was very specific about not telling any of the family members about it. And I was like, well, I hope your comments aren't on iTunes and SoundCloud because no, you're kind of about to be blown. To our, to our podcast on iTunes <laughs> where you can find are. us. No, no, definitely not. But they're huge fans, you know. <laughs> they're all, yeah, of course, they're all about empowering South Asian women. Aren't all aunties? Um, but uh, So even to this day, she's very particular about me not talking about it to my family members. She doesn't want anyone to know that I went through it. Um, and of course, like, you know, as I was dealing, I mean, there's a lot of stigmas associated with it. Just, you know. Um, we've talked about this, Meg. You'd always talk about how people don't consider women to be complete if they're single. A lot of times I meet people, they're just like, but like, what is wrong with you though? Like, what is the one thing that's wrong with you, which is why you're single and we need to figure this out about you? So, you know, um, you know, this idea of being single at 33 and, you know, not having a man to, you know, not having figured out this partner to have this children with and having to figure out like a way to possibly extend fertility for myself. Um, I was dealing with that, but then, you know, having that conversation with my mom, she was 100% supportive of me doing the process. I can imagine it being incredibly difficult. Um, as I was having this discussion with my mom, with my cousins, they were saying how like her mom always questions everything that she does. And if she had even brought it up, her mom would be like, you're crazy. You always want to do crazy things. Now you got this third crazy idea. Why are you doing this? I think it would have been really hard. My mom was always on board 100%. But then I had to deal with some other parts of it, which is it's still like the secret that like people in my family don't know. Yeah, I mean, I've had, so on the flip side of it, um, I've had a couple of family members, a few family members who went through fertility treatments to get pregnant. So they did like IVF or whatever else there is out there. And it was such a hush, hush thing that you would need help in order to get pregnant, that it, that you had somehow kind of almost failed as a woman, that you weren't able to naturally get pregnant. You had to go and seek help. Even though my most of there so many doctors in my family, a uh, couple of OBGYNs, like they're, they're still, it doesn't matter. I feel sometimes I like, I love my family a lot, but sometimes I call them meaning like educated savages. Cause it's like, y'all are, you went through school. <laughs> Can I just time out? I think the actual translation for jahil is like illiterate, but you just took it to a hundred with the savage. <laughs> savage. They're, I love it. I love them so much, but they can sometimes really throw me for a loop when I'm like, y'all have been like the story that they tell everybody about my nana. So my mom's one of nine, seven sisters, two boys. And every, all of the daughters went to school and got graduate degrees, great professions, blah, blah, blah. And, and they'd always tell the story about like how people would ask them how at, um, my grandfather, how did you get your daughters to go to school? How did you, you know, inspire them or motivate them to pursue careers? And he was like, it was either they got married or they went to school and they were smart enough to choose school. Uh, but then they go, then they do stupid ass shit. Like, why haven't you got married? What's wrong? You don't want to? Why don't you want to? Oh, you don't want to have a kid yet? Why don't you want to? Why? What's wrong? And it's just like, you. why can't we get, why can't you just, there is this sense of just like you, 
there's no such thing as like autonomy mm-hmm. in in they see familiar relationships at least there's no sense of boundaries or like this maybe i shouldn't ask this person this question or like oh you gained weight are you pregnant and it's like no i just fucking gained weight can i just you gain can never gain weight i'm here to tell you guys that it does not end when you it get doesn't. married oh because when you get married then it's literally within weeks especially if you get married at an older age i was 32 when i got married and it was like so are you gonna have kids when are you gonna have kids and then when you have the kid then it's like so when are they gonna get a sibling they can and make crazy friends heck, like as someone who's 32 right now doesn't feel old at all right but in like in in the grand scheme of things is 32 old no but for us you might as well be in a fucking nursing home but then here's the thing right even once you deliver all those things there's i think there's like just guilt attached to every aspect of being a woman once you are a mother then it's like oh you only breastfed for six months oh well you know islamically you're supposed to do it for two years that's fantastic i just can't produce the milk this has gotten real tmi real quick but you guys have you guys have lit lit a fire and now we're gonna do it our culture is a little extra so it goes the other way too so my sister got married very young you know all the check boxes 22 had two children She's only a year and a half older, so she's, like, probably 36 or 37 right now. And my aunt goes to her. She was like, you have two children already. At your age, people get excited. Don't get excited and make a third baby. It's like... Oh, my God. You know, people just like, lack of boundaries. They wow. just love policing women's bodies. It? You can never it's do a, it right. You can never do it right. I you think that's just, like... Right. That is being a woman, right? It's just like you can, no matter what you do, you will never do it right. And it transcends culture. A positive note. (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. So talking about support. I know. um, I love how my question was, do you feel supported? And then I went off on a tangent about how I did not feel supported. No, I love how this this episode is about me. Thank you. But I love how you started off this episode talking about how this was a positive topic. And we're gonna stay away from all the dark, morbid stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is a super positive. Hera's episode. gonna turn around. If somebody can turn it around, it's Hera. Yes, I have do faith. It, do it. Do it. Okay. So, in talking about support, I think one thing, if you are considering of having for having this, so it's a two week long process, two to two and a half weeks. You start on your first day of period. That's when your cycle starts, and there's multiple injections that are involved, um, and you have to go in every other day or every third day to see where everything is. They give you injections and hormones to kind of like promote growth of um, these um, eggs that they can then retrieve. And, you know, it's more than normal. Like it would be very different. It'd be like, because you're growing, like I was very fertile. I was growing like about 20 eggs at one point and my my ovaries were just like engrossed. Um, but after a week, week and a half, then they start giving, cause they want to schedule a procedure for you. Then they start giving you, um, hormones. Then you'll, you might be changing your hormones. So three different hormones involved into like having them stopping, you know, stopping the growth of your eggs and making sure that they are right and ripe for retrieval. And then they figure out a time where they're exactly going to retrieve the eggs. And then you get this one special injection called the trigger shot. And they will give you exactly a time of the trigger shot. And then 36 after, uh, hours after that, and is to the T. 
it is within like you have to be there it's a 10 minute appointment and you have to be there at that time um so um that all needs to happen and i was considering different things should i take two weeks off but then you know i decided to do it in sort of like january february i didn't want to just be off doing nothing and just like perseverating over like where my life is and what I'm trying to do and accomplish with my life and whether I'd be able to have children ever, um, I decided to work. And I was very open and very demanding of the support that I needed from work. I spoke up for myself. Uh, It's a little complicated situation. As uh, you guys see, I'm an academic clinician. So I work at the university, but then I'm also at the hospital. And I was very open with all people that are sort of like my supervisors and direct report. I went to my supervisor, my chairperson at the job. He was a man, but I was very open about discussing it with him. This is something that I'm doing and I need to do for myself. And I will need flexible timing for two weeks straight. I have to go in 7am every day for an appointment. And I was able to figure it out. It was within a half an hour for my job. Um, And I told him that I may be coming in at nine, I may be coming in at 11. I don't really know. I'm also an ICU practitioner. So everything that we do happens between the hours of seven to 11. We round on patients and everything. And I was very open about it there too. Three different people that I was working with over the course of three weeks. And I was very much like, I may or may not be in, but I need to come in to maintain my own sanity. So you can't tell me to take this time off. And in that aspect, I had a lot of support. And I truly needed it because I ended up being hyper productive. So during my second week, I had instead of going in every other day, it was like such a close call. I had to go in 7 a.m. every day for that blood work. Um, So in that way, I think that if you're considering about doing it, you will need a lot of support from your employers and um, anyone understanding. And I also was very specific about I'm telling you because I need flexibility and timing and I will need you to not tell anyone. I don't want to talk to HR about it. Um, And they were very supportive. And that's what made it really easy for me. I'm so happy that they were supportive. But hearing you talk about it, it really makes me wonder if they had, if they would have been able to give you that level of support if you weren't so proactively sure and clear about what you needed, right? So I think you come from a very unique place of privilege where A, you have enough seniority, like you weren't entry level, kind of just following other people's pecking orders. So you had the seniority, you had these relationships, you had this rapport with all your managers. Um, And B, by virtue of your profession, by virtue of your own curiosity and knowledge kind of that you developed during this process, you knew what you needed. And I I don't know that um, every woman is as equipped to kind of be as clear and certain about what they especially about something so personal how to ask for what they need yeah especially about something so personal right as your own fertility and it's such a taboo topic in professional settings in general Mm -hmm. um to be to go in and demand what you're i mean what you're owed right you you work you you deserve that time um and so I, I think that's a that's amazing that you were able to do that. And I think, like Mike said, it comes with it comes for it comes. It's a it's a place of privilege in order to be able to 
have that experience. Um, and the other thing I was going to mention is, uh, uh, well, to your point, um, there, as women, you're just not conditioned to ask for those things, right? We're supposed to smile and be approachable and amenable and quiet ourselves in moments of confrontation or contention. And so I think this is one of those, and that's probably why these things aren't talked about because you're not supposed to. And God forbid you mention uterus <laughs> in like polite company, right? Forget about, don't ever say the word vagina. But or like, period. Or period. But just gonna say you right. can't even say period. You can't even say period. And like, you know, blue liquid, that's what it looks like, right? Like in all those like pad, tampon and pad commercials. Um, so I think it's such a it's such an empowering thing that you're able to do that. And I think this is like a great I mean, for me, someone who is considering it and has an employer who actually pays for part of it. I've still, I feel like on my to-do list have this like email HR about this and I still haven't done it because I'm like, do I want to tell, I have to get them involved and I have to tell them and I don't want them to go and tell other people. And mind you, this is a company full of women and a lot of them have done this and like paid parentally, very flexible, very progressive in that way. But I'm still like, like it still feels but that's what I'm almost. saying, right? I love that Hera was able to be so bold, so da- yeah, so damn bold, so damn confident to say, maybe I'm going to work half days, but I'm still going to work, and you don't have the right to tell me to take this as vacation time because I'm not going to. And secondly, I'm going to tell you, but you better not tell anybody else. You know what I mean? I think that's amazing that you said that. I wouldn't think to say that. I would just think that, okay, well, if you have to tell HR, I can tell HR. I have a doctor's HR, appointment. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, maybe be out. Of course, like a lot more. But I'll be checking my email. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Always, always, always. Oh, yeah. I'll be on, I'll be available. But like, can you write me a, like a, a script to follow? Just like bullet points I want to say when I do and, finally and work pe- up the courage to go to and HR. You know it's funny, people are willing to do that, right? Like my chairperson could have very easily, you know, it's also interesting. I work in a with a department of like 66, maybe like 60 of us are women. I'm pretty sure I was the first person to do it. And I'm pretty sure this was the first time my chairperson had gotten this request. The thing is, like, you know, when you when you like sort of put it out there, like people, I don't know, maybe I'm too optimistic at times. People will will show you. And I love this. Tara's going to talk about energy. Let's go. Yeah, they, they will. They. I feel like if you give them a chance, yeah, people will sort of like do, do the, the right, right thing. thing. Yeah. And it was very much like, you know, like, and I and I did put it as like, uh, you know, I would like to keep this between us. Do you think that we need to get anyone else involved? I I think that this is something that we can handle. And he was he wasn't like I don't know. I have to. He was very much like. Yeah, I, I think that that's fine. It's okay. Your hours aren't determined. You can come in late in some days. Like, it's fine. Um, and so, you know, like, he kind of granted me that. Cur- and it was, of course, it was a little intimidating. He, you know, it was me going up to someone who I don't even think he has known anyone that has gone through that process. And not that I want to know. So, you know, maybe he's gone through people that have got, that have had IVF. Uh, but probably not just fertilization. And I'm someone that has four weeks of vacation, right? So very easily my supervisor can be like, uh, you can take two weeks of vacation. And I was like, no, this is a medical issue. Good for you. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what like the physical and emotional process was like for you? So, you know, you have to 
I'm not even going to try to explain. What was it like for you? I think that as, as, as introspective as I am and as much as I like time I had spent coming to this decision, you know, um, we've talked about this. I am not someone who was sort of born with this need of like, oh, I'm going to be a mom. I like didn't understand the obsession with children. Um, but something happened around 27, right around that age, 27, 28. Maybe my ovaries were like, you are getting old, ma'am. We need to think about this. Hello, uh, anyone but- home? Yeah. And I was like, I love babies. I think I want to do this. And I had this desire to sort of like raise a human being. And it was like this very like inner voice that spoke to me. And um, it is very much uh, a deep and introspective thing where you know that you're supposed to be a mom or like something in you tells you that you're supposed to be a mom. So I did journal a lot in that time. I thought I was ready for the emotional journey, but I wasn't. Um, My... my brother was going through an episode at the time and uh, mental illness is genetically linked. It is through women and, um, you know, you just never know how your kids are going to turn out. And I, I definitely, you know, was on these, you know, exorbitant amount of hormones. And I went through this process of, I'm doing this, but do I really want to do this? Like, you know, and I am religious, so as an intellectual. So it's like this like weird mix of like all these thoughts and analysis and uh, metacognition and super thinking. Um, you know, I thought I was fine. I, I, you know, I came on with a very much an idea of I'm just giving myself a shot. If I want to have kids, I am in a place of privilege. I had hit certain financial um, sort of benchmarks that I wanted for myself. And I was very much in a place of privilege in my job financially. Uh, and I was like, I can do this. So why not? And then like, I feel like the feminist in me was like losing. And I feel like I my, the feminist in me was telling me that I am tying my self worth to my ability to have for having children, or my self worth to my ability for having children. Um, and the Muslim in me was telling me that why am I messing with God's plan? You know, a lot of, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly religious and spiritual person. So, you know, in my interpretation of Islam, it's very much giving into the will of God. And uh, so the Muslim in me was just like, maybe this is God's plan for you. Why are you trying to alter God's plan? And then I, you know, after s- several hours of thinking about it, I was like, you know what, maybe this journey is part of God's plan for me. So like, who am I to say yes or no because of that? Um, and then the other thing was just the the person who's super cautious in me was like, there's so many things that can go wrong in having children. Do I really want to do this? So I thought I knew what I wanted when I started the process. I was very doubtful in the middle of it. Um, once coronavirus hit and there's no possibility. So yesterday I was joking with a student of mine and I was just like, you know, like I don't even have someone in reach that I could just like reach. You know, I just have to reach for him and then I'll get married. There's no one in the horizon. Um, like it took me maybe six months to a year and even, and now like maybe two years later, I'm even like that, that much more sure. I'm like, you know what? I'm really glad I did it. I'm really, really glad. Like today I am 100% sure I should have gone through with it. I feel like Uh, you're speaking to my soul right now because I, 
I had the opposite thing where I was very sure from an early age that I wanted to be a mom. And it was always with, it was, it was just like, regardless of my relationship status, like I want to be a mom. And if it doesn't happen at a certain age, I'm happy to figure out a way to just do it on my own. So like after every breakup, I was like, I'm fine being a single mom. I can figure it out. I'll hack it. And then, and then I don't know. I don't know if it was turning 30 where I was like, I don't know if I should do this. Is it maybe it's just not in in like you know for me it's like you know the the, the fate of the universe maybe it's just not something that is going to happen for me and I, I feel like I'm in this place of doubt where I'm um for something that I felt like I was so sure about for so long and I don't know I I feel like the the world is so scary too but the f- fact that you're talking about like giving yourself just a chance is such a great way to frame it like if you're in the position to do it, because it is, it, it is expensive, it is time consuming, you have to make sure your employer is all on board and all of that. But if you're in a position but and you're on the fence, it's a great way to think about it. Just like giving yourself the chance to do this and and having the resolve to follow through. It's so funny to hear you guys talk about this. And it's something that I often feel maybe insecure is the right word because I have never been a maternal person. And here I say this to you all the time and you clap back at me with some like deep rooted spiritual wisdom and make me feel really dumb. Um, But I've never been like a maternal person. Right. And from, I've never felt that pull to, you know, I've never felt my ovaries aching for babies. I've never looked at a baby and said, Oh my God, I want one. You know what I mean? Um, Even, I remember when I first met my husband, um, I was 32 at the time he was 38. So naturally we talked about like, you know, what does your life look like in a couple of years? Do you want kids? Do you not want kids? And I was very much in this, well, I don't know that I want kids at all. And if I do want kids, it's not going to be for several years down the line because I want to make sure we have a very strong foundation, blah, blah, blah. And I, i very much felt sure of that. You know what I mean? It wasn't just something I was saying for the sake of saying. Um, And then we got married and for the first time, I felt like I wanted to have kids, not for the sake of having kids per se, but because he was exactly the kind of person that I wanted to procreate. He was exactly the kind of person that I wanted to see more of in this world. And like, for me, he was the piece to the puzzle. I, I could have never, I would have never done it on my own. Um, because frankly, I don't know that I emotionally could have handled it, but having him as a partner for me was like, okay, this makes sense. And you are the kind of person that I want to like raise a kid with. Um, but you know, so we had our daughter and I was like, wow, that sucked. (laughs) Never doing it again. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, when she was like a year old, I got pregnant again, um, because I felt this compelling need to give her a sibling, not, not a need to give myself another kid, but a compelling need to give her a sibling to journey through life with, because the world is so shitty and people are so shitty and, you know, I I think it's important to have a strong family connection because that's something that I was raised with as well. Um, So this whole like sob story is to tell you that I think 
likewise is said, if you have the means, if you have the resources and, you know, God is great and we do, all three of us do have that ability at our fingertips to give yourself that chance because anything you're feeling today, it might be what you feel next year. It might not be. It might be what you feel in five years. It might not be. And when you know something is finite, it's not like you can wake up one day when you're 60 years old and say, all right, now I'm ready to have kids. It's just not how biology works. When you know it's finite and you have the ability to give yourself that chance, why not? And I I don't think it means you're tying yourself worth to being a mother or that you're tying yourself worth to hitting like certain societal quote unquote obligations that are placed on women. Um, nor do I think it means that you're going against God's will or like, you know, trying to finagle your way out of God's plan. I think where you are today, you know, financially, emotionally, socially, this is exactly the place that was written for you by God. And so I think, you know, every decision you make is a step in that direction. Thanks for coming to my TED talk, guys. <laughs> that was a beautiful khutbah. Thank you. <laughs> I think it's like, like in my t-shirt. <laughs> in my t-shirt and no hijab. Thanks so much. Thank you for confirming all of my fears were wrong. Thank you. <laughs> and validating that I made the right decision. This is exactly what I was here for. <laughs> Yeah, come to me for therapy. I got this. Yeah, and I think it's just, I think my thing is also just as someone who, you know, was very sure. And the thing is, I think my doubt creeps in because I didn't think I'd be where I am now in my early 20s or like in my mid-20s or two years ago, frankly, or last year. I don't think anybody knew we were going to be where we are now. And I think that's, and I remember my brother was like, when I was telling him, I was like, I don't know if I want to have kids anymore because the world's just so scary. He's like, no, just like, don't think about that. Don't think about that. The world's been, you know, like there have always been really turbulent times and history repeats itself, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, shut the fuck up. You're a man. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> don't tell me what to do with my body. But I like, I, I think I understand that more now or I appreciate that more now um, that I'm in this place of just real introspection and reflection and like what's important to me and what's not. And uh, I'm I'm still not ready to have kids, and I, there are certain things that I want to do before I go on that journey. But I do want to make sure that I've like given myself the best chance that I possibly could because I I can. And also, if you're listening to this and you don't want to have kids, don't have kids. Don't let anybody bully oh, you into having kids. <laughs> like, 100%. it's not for everyone. It's not for it's and it's a totally valid choice. Like. It, it, it's the other side of your your worth is not tied to your fertility or your ability to bear children. You don't need to have kids if you don't want or to. Or if you're listening to this and feel confident that you do want to have kids, come babysit mine for a weekend. <laughs> and then let's circle back. That's that real birth control. Mm-hmm. But I definitely did this with this in mind that like, that I might waste my eggs, you know? And, and I felt really bad about that in a sense that, there are so many women that are not able to retrieve their eggs. I know people that have gone through multiple cycles and my age, you know, or younger, um, they just kind of like came to this decision a little bit later and, you know, maybe they did it at 35. Some women have done it at 36, very successful. And I know some women who've gone through three cycles and just like not able to get even one or two eggs that were viable. So 
I feel for them and I had considered donating them for sure. Um, and I think that's still my plan, but I definitely did this with a contract in mind or like letting myself have the choice that if I choose not to have children, that's okay. I can allow myself that luxury. It was very hard. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a minimalist and I hate spending, but it was definitely hard to come to that point where like, yeah, if I need to waste $15,000, I will waste it for my mental sanity. Yeah, I don't. It's like, I don't consider that a waste, though, right? Because you're assuming that you are going to choose not to, but it could very well go the other way. And yeah. in that case, if you decide to have kids at forty two, forty three, that's fifteen thousand dollars that literally just changed the course of your life. Because at that age, would you have been able to conceive naturally? Who knows? Yeah. Or with or the the it's the quality of your eggs, right? That really also makes a difference. And for someone who has a history of mental illness in their family, like that's something that's really important to me as well. Um, so my question to you, and you can totally say this is too personal, but my question to you, because this is what I'm kind of struggling with is if you had a partner right now, would you have still done this? Would you still consider it? Or was that like the determining factor? No, I think it depends on the type of partner you have. You know, I was in something casual at the time. So um, I'm okay to share that because like there was no way I was going to have kids with that person. Uh, But uh, I still did it. And I think it depends on the kind of relationship I'm having. If it was definitely if I was married and I still didn't want to have children, we do have the option of freezing embryos, which is so much better because you do genetic testing. You can see exactly what it's like. I have frozen eggs. I was successful. I was able to get like 13 eggs. I don't know how many of them are good eggs. You know, like I don't know how many of them I'm going to be able to use. It's a fair shot that they'll be okay, but it's a total shot in the dark. You know, they would have to, you know, thaw my eggs and then I'm going to lose some eggs in that way. And then they have to plant seven and maybe one of them, you know, will have it. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to have two children without those, uh, with those 13 eggs. Perhaps I can have one child. Um, if I was in a serious relationship and I was married, but not ready to have children, I would save embryos. If I was in a relationship and a serious one, um, not married, I wouldn't save my eggs. I wouldn't freeze my eggs in a sense that um, I do think that women also it, it's like a dual edged sword. We are sometimes uh, kind of told that like 35 is that magic line where like all of a sudden your fertility like goes to hell. It's it's not true. Women conceive successfully like much later on, you know, throughout their like late thirties, like most people do. Okay. My aunt got married at 36. She had a very healthy child at 39. No problems, no genetic, pro- uh, no genetic issues. So, right. It's not a cliff at 35. It's, it's like a, a slow slope. Definitely yeah. your fertility right. decreases, but it's not like at 35, you wake up the next day and you're in like this abyss of non-fertility or infertility wow it's late yeah and let's not take that off the table like like it is like a marketing gimmick right like like you know who's doing this women with privilege women who have these jobs because it's not covered by insurance but that are able to afford it and who wants to say no to cash money and people are creating these factories to like freeze your eggs so no like i don't think i would have done it if i was in a serious relationship but if i was married and not ready to have children perhaps i would have considered freezing my embryos um casual yeah for sure I would have done it because like it wasn't even about the person that I was with at the time. It was about me and what I wanted from life. Kara, what was the overall cost? You threw out the $15,000 number. Was that for like the um, 
clinical piece and the medications and stuff? Because isn't there a storage fee as well? Yeah, the storage fee. So I, this is the caveat and I want everyone to be careful who's considering doing it. So I decided to go with a university medical center. Um, so it's a big institution and it is like one of the top institutions in the US. And that increased my cost by $5,000. It could be around 10000 including the medication. So $5,000 would be medications, give or take. Everyone kind of gets it from this like mail order pharmacy. I shopped around for it like everyone else. Um, and I got a fairly good deal. I mean, I'm a pharmacist. So I, that part I was kind of familiar with and what to do. Um, but there are people who will do it for 5000 But if you speak to um, specific associates, like I remember when I was shopping around for um, who I should go with as you know, when it comes to physicians and a fertility specialist, um, I am someone because I'm in healthcare, I'm a little extra about my healthcare providers, I need to feel very comfortable with you. And my threshold is fairly high. Um, but then when I ca called Cornell Associates, they were very open with me, they were like, if you're going to freeze your eggs somewhere else, we want you to know, if you come to us five years later, we will not use those eggs, because we can't guarantee how they were frozen like they don't want to run into any issues so you want to be really careful where you're choosing to freeze your eggs because those are the people that you want to feel comfortable going with when it comes to sort of like fertilizing their egg those eggs and then going through the in vitro fertilization process the other part of it is that the egg retrieval process was fairly invasive i was under anesthesia it was the first time i've ever been under anesthesia and it was a full-on procedure and um, my cousin was with me she's the one who drove me and she was like you know what I felt really good that you were at a hospital doing this not doing it at some clinic so those are the things I want you to be careful about I chose to spend money on it because if I'm going to do something then I'm going to do something right um, and I do have the a thousand dollars a year um egg say egg freezing fee that I pay um you know like one of my colleagues says those puppies are expensive they'll cost you right there's a maintenance fee as well yeah. that's associated with it so it's the upfront cost of the actual retrieval and the medication and then the maintenance of those eggs over time for however long you yeah however long you want to keep them damn yeah. damn damn but honestly this is I'm e I'm emailing HR tomorrow this has given me the courage. Well, run the draft by it. Hera first. Yes, so she can please. <laughs> she can spice it up for you a little bit. Yeah. Um, no. Do you have any more questions, guys? I mean, I, know, I, realistic, I might have you know, to take it offline. I know. I'm just gonna, like, realistically, I feel like I could talk about this with you specifically, Hera, for hours and hours and hours. Um, uh, yeah, this was amazing. And I, I think, thank you so much for your candor yeah. and your transparency yes. about this. And your I briefness. Think, yeah. It did take um, me a while to talk about And apologies this. to your khalas in advance who are hearing about this for the first time. Okay. They would not approve. <laughs> uh, sorry to my family, but I call you to your face. So Savages. <laughs> Savages. I love it. That might be the episode title. Um, Hera, we like to end. Um, yeah. We like to do kind of takeaways at the end of every episode, just kind of touching base on, you know, circling back with what we have learned um, either through the episode or through the process or through COVID. There's so many so much learning happening these days. So what's, what's your big lesson learned 
2020 thus far. 2020? Or no, let's, of, of this process for you, of this journey for you. Of this journey. I think at the end of it, it was incredibly empowering. You know, I, you know, my need to have children was also about this, like, I, I joke about this, was this equation of life. I've had, I'm someone who's had this unique opportunity. I mean, I've lost a lot of people in my 20s. And it was a very deep need to now add people into my life and balance this equation of life. And it, it came from within and it comes from such a deep place that I can't even describe it. And, you know, I thought about the opposite way. I thought about being a single man who's 34 and, and they can't do this. If I choose to have a family tomorrow, I can do it. I can bring life into this world. And it's so like, it's so um, human, humanistic in this way. And it's one of the most primal and simple things that we can do. But as a woman, at the end of it, I felt incredibly empowered. Like I can do this. And if I want to do this, I will do this. Standing ovation. Faiza and I are both just like... <laughs> So for a, the first time, just speechless. You just I know. You're a teacher in life. Just staring at you in awe. And uh, I, I appreciate being here. Like I said, um, so right before this podcast started, everyone, I was thanking both Faiza and Mehek for creating this space because I know for me personally, I feel seen in a very deep way and I and I feel like this. Th I want to be in this space. This is where I belong, you know, so... Thank you for having the tough conversations that you continue to have. And thank you for including me as part of it. Well, thank you for listening. And thank you for adding to it. I think you schooled everything and everybody today. And you're, you know, I gas you up all the time. You're, you're such a ray of light, Mira, and you're so appreciated. So thank you. My takeaway is actually from your takeaway. Um, I think as a femdementalist, <laughs> uh, it's very easy to get caught up in just like the balance of it, right? Like society places all these burdens on a woman. And as somebody who feels so strongly about gender equality and female equality, I find that so much of too much of my energy is spent on being like, okay, well, everything has to be equal, right? Like the duties have to be equal. And like, you have to wake up as many times as I wake up and, you know, like you have to sacrifice X, Y, Z because I've sac sacrificed X, Y, Z. But what you said is so true that like we are uniquely positioned to bring life. And that's not to say that parenting shouldn't be a shared burden because 100% it should be. But the benefit often isn't a shared benefit because, you know, when a baby is born for the first few months, they think they are one in the same with the mother. Like they have no sense of self. And that's not something a man could ever, even through science, even through technology, through anything, that's not something he will ever, ever, ever experience. Um, so it's good to hear you talk about that because it grounds me and reminds me that 
yes, I'm a co-parent, but I'm also a mother, a mother, a mother, as um, Islam teaches us. So thank you. Yeah, Mahek, you a soft-ass bitch. <laughs> she the softest. Both, my kids, both my kids went to sleep very easily today without any major meltdown, so I'm in, hey, a, very, the- I'm in a very zen place today. Thank you For very real. much. For <laughs> real. I feel like you're getting a little teary-eyed over there. <laughs> it's actually because oh I'm God. wearing eyeliner for the first time in a very long time. And I think my eyes sure, are reacting. Sure, sure, sure. Uh-huh, you got onions no. over there too? Mm-hmm. I swear, literally, like, I, you see the tears rolling down. Like, my eyes have started reacting to putting eyeliner on my waterline because they're like, where is this coming who, from? Who do you like, think you are? <laughs> like, you're not going anywhere. Exactly. Um, All for well, the behind-the-scenes shots, guys. Yeah. That's what it's for. I love it. Um, I think for me, my takeaway, I mean, it's specific to this episode. Usually it's like, oh, generally in life. But this, I think, was a good, almost like humbling experience for me. And that there's still, I still have the capacity to just learn so much about life and myself, um, which is exciting in in a strange way. But it is, it's super humbling to have spoken to you and heard your your journey, especially because it, it does resonate so much with me. So um, my takeaway is just like, there's still so much to life and you just have to be able to give yourself, give yourself the space to accept it and grow. So thank yeah. you. Of course. Um, do you want to drop your socials if that's a thing you want to do? Have people follow you or anything you want to shout out? I'm very private on social media because of uh, my, I'm just always worried my students are going to find me. I just like, don't want that. I live a very, yeah, no, it's totally fine. I I live a very, uh, we want to say extracurricular life outside of my work. And I, and I want to keep it that way because I enjoy that part of my life. Uh, And it's just different, you know? Yeah, totally fair. Totally fair. You right. can catch me on Instagram at Mac Jamil and on Twitter at Nisi. Um, and you can catch me, Fiza, at the Cold Shoulder Cat on Instagram and Cold Shoulder Cat on Twitter. And then you can follow the podcast at the the Femdem. What is it? At the <laughs> Femdementalists. Yeah, on, on Instagram. Instagram. Um, Um, And again, shout out to our amazing social media managers who do such an awesome job with the stories and the posting. Um, So definitely engage with them. Let us know what else you'd like to hear from us. We've got a couple of really cool episodes queued up, um, but happy to take requests. Yeah. If you know anybody who's doing some dope ass shit and is a South Asian woman, send them our way. And wants to get on a little sappy nighttime recording with us. <laughs> We're here for it. Hera, thank you so, so, so much again. It was really such a pleasure having you on. Yeah, thank pleasure you. Pleasure to be here. All right, Lovely. thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.